What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Panthers Nation Network. Uh, the second win of the season for the Panthers, and it comes at such an odd time. The NFL is all upside down right now, and we're one of the teams that doesn't know what kind of team we are. And it's it's nice to see us win again. I, I, I had fun watching the game once again. But again, like like what? <laughs> What what are we doing? <laughs> what is going on, man? I look, I had, I, I didn't, you know, this was so bad coming into this. Like, I didn't even try to do a money in the bank where I predicted what was gonna, what was gonna happen. I kind of thought, okay, well, same as usual. We're one in five. They're they're a team that's struggling. They should, this should be their get right game. This is kind of what we that's, the, that's what we've been on everybody's schedule. This is the game where you get paid if you aim if you struggled all year. You you find a way to get money against Carolina and the defense came out played four quarters of great football and the Buccaneers they look awful like they they got real issues over there. But on the bright side, PJ Walker came out and made big time plays. The guy that I had said a while ago I was like. Hey, he was the most comfortable out of every quarterback we got. He played like it today. So, I mean, congrats to P.J. Walker for getting the, you know, having a great performance. And congrats to this team, man, for getting a, a much-needed win for the fan base. No questions. No questions about that. I think today was a much-needed win. You know, tip my hat to the to the definitely re, rejuvenated Carolina Panthers as of today. We came out and bust the people uh, known as the Bucks. We've never been able to beat them with Tom Brady at the helm. So our first win comes as a dysfunctional franchise, but we really look functional today. I mean, we even had Big Tepper coming down to hand out balls at the end of the game. Look, look at Wilkes said to fill the stands with a sea of blue, and it, it, they weren't. But, I mean, my goodness, it was a like it was just a different team that was out on the field. I don't know who lit a fire under McAdoo's behind. I mean, I'm not take that with a grain of salt because there's still a lot of issues with the plays that he called and, and the timing in which the plays he called. But, I mean, to finally get, you know, allow P.J. to just throw it beyond the line of scrimmage. I think that stat line just got blown up so big when they said that P.J. didn't get to throw. He threw one he threw one net yard past line of scrimmage, and the rest came from Jacob Eason. I think that had to change things around. But, I mean, you know, there was obviously still some some issues there, and we'll get into that. But it was just it was just fun to see the team play well again and enjoy playing well. It was it, That's what I thought. You know, last week – they might, have just, they might have just put too much pressure on themselves, to be completely honest. I think that that was, you know, not the game that was going to be the rejuvenation. It was definitely like a a playoff game almost. It went from like a, being a playoff game to them being the first game of the year. It's kind of how the vibe felt for both of those for both of those games. And, of course, being on the road as opposed to being, you know, at home has a big, a big part to play. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you, you, know, you had guys trying to figure out a game plan, you know, halfway through the week. That wasn't gonna that, and it looked like it when you stepped on the field last week. This week, it looked like a team that McAdoo seemed a lot more creative, right? Like instead of just it just being the first drive, it was the entire game where it's like, okay, some calculated shots here and there. We still have some issues with some of the some of the play calling, of course, like you said, but it still looked more fluent than it looked in any other week prior. There wasn't a waiting on a Lavisca Chanel. A 60, a 60 yard plus screen that kept carry the offense like no you went and you drove the ball down multiple times and your quarterback when he got into the red zone actually took shots at the end zone right so i mean steve wilkes right i, I mean what whatever steve wilkes has done he, this team looks more professional it looks more cohesive looks more like a team that has a that has a, a sense of self and a sense of direction right um and whatever happens from here on out, I mean, I just hope Steve Woods is still going to be on the coaching staff moving forward in some capacity. Yeah, without question. I think you guys hit it on both, you know, on both sides of the coin with that. I mean, we definitely, like, we came up with a lot more energy. 
I think we spoke about a little bit before we got on today. You know, it's really the removal of CMC that kind of opened up that toolbox that we've been talking about week over week. You know, we don't want to see anything ill will, you know, send on ill will towards CMC's way. But it did seem like once he was out of the way, you got a chance to see Dante Foreman. You got a chance to see Chuba Hubbard, you know, kind of get in and do what they can do and show what they can do. And they provided sparks to the offense that has been needed from the line of scrimmage for quite some time. Also gave us some diversity, right? It, it, it opened up the passing game with us being able to run and, you know, make those deep yard dashes into the defense. So, I mean, hats off to the offensive line for holding up today, doing good work. Icky and the crew doing, doing good work today. Can't take anything from them. I mean, we did go up against a subpar Bucks team to a certain extent, but be that as it may, it's a division win with two and zero in division. But it's, I mean, it's still a Bucks team, like you said, especially with the offensive line. They still got Vita Vey up there in the middle, and we know what kind of impact he can have, especially with Bozeman coming in. And I've been waiting for it, and he needs to stay there because one quarterback sack against that front four, you know, that their their defense, like you said, it's gotten some issues. It's up and down injuries, depth, you know, it's got its issues. But one sack in a game, and you have Bozeman coming in at center. As far as I'm concerned, Elf Lion can go. He can fill in wherever he wants to go in our offensive line, but. Bozeman is the guy that you need to be putting up there. I've been clamoring for it, you know, in healthy scratches, I, you know, weird reasons being on the, the inactive list, whatever it may be. But that was a big impact. And I think the thing, you know, you hit on the head, Shanti's too, that long sustaining drive, finally getting into the red zone. The, the, the biggest thing, it was the, six, it was the first touchdown drive. You have six plays, 80 yards, three minutes. You get down there, you finally get into the red zone, and you actually convert in the red zone. A huge form and run to set up that DJ Moore, and the corners pulled. The corners pulled up. They thought the run was coming. DJ left open at the very, very edge of the end zone, but that was it was just, that was what we've been waiting for. Absolutely. And, you know, and to piggyback off your point about Bradley Bozeman, the Panthers ran, tw- ran the ball 27 times for 100, 173 yards, averaging 6.4 yards a carry. It's a big difference. I mean, yeah, you had some big runs in, in there, but you consistently were hit. You were consistently hitting the bucket mid for at least four to five yards a pop. I mean, I saw some explosion out of out of Chuba that I don't think we've seen thus far. It looked a lot more confident as a runner. You remember last year, it was a lot of stop and start. Not really sure if he's making the right move or not. Deontay Foreman looked exactly like the guy that we saw in Tennessee fill in for the best running back in football and did it admirably last year. I don't understand why that couldn't have happened, uh, happened this year. And like you said, Jason, you know, the absence of CMC now helping other guys elevate. And I mean, and it's crazy to say that a guy of his caliber, and, and, and we know how great CMC was, but it's, it's crazy to say that he may have held this team back in the sense of the coaching staff. It's not that CMC, the player, can, can, can ever hold this team back. It's the coaching staff never can recognize that, hey, look, you know, you, you there, there are other ways to get guys going. There are guys on your roster that are very much capable of doing these exact things if you allow if you allow them to do so. But having a guy like Christian McCaffrey, I can imagine, can be a conundrum for a coach when you got a guy that can stay in in, in every run block and play except for maybe third and short. Can, can stay in every pass blocking set or, or every pass play possible because he can go out wide into the slot or he's a he's a solid uh, 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 blocking back as well. So I think having that going and having to get creative, having to dig into your bag and be a coach, right? Yeah. Really digging cool. your bag and be a coach brings out the, brought, brought out the best in everybody. And then you got to see guys that you normally don't see have to elevate their game because, you know, crazy enough, they're all in the NFL for a reason. They can play this level of football for a reason. They're not here by mistake. No doubt. And who would have thought, who would have thought that PJ Walker would have come in and had a 73.8 QBR while Tom Brady had a 55.6? 
you know, and really, really holding it down for us and really throwing over the top. Like you said, to Tommy Trim, we hadn't seen Trimble get out there. We've been clamoring for that all, all season long for him to get out there and do some work. Actually got a touchdown in there. On in National the Tight Ends Day. <laughs> On the fourth quarter, you know, so I, I agree with both of you. I think the offense looked a little bit better in that we saw a little spunk. We saw a little bit more pizzazz as he was doing many different options with it with the offense. He wasn't just, again, to your point, being clamped to CMC, forcing it to CMC, forcing it through CMC. As CMC goes, so did the offense. Today was definitely a team effort in that capacity where he did mix it up a lot. And you're right, though. I think the play calling is still the problem that we're going to have to address. I think we're going to get back to the drawing board on that. I don't know what, what McAdoo is going to be able to do about the way he likes to call a game, but I think that he did do one thing justice is – he did take advantage of what the defense gave him today. He didn't try to do anything outside of that, right? He forced the game through what was given. And you see you see the fruits of his labor on the other side. And I'll hit on a couple different points because, you know, yeah, I mean, we talk about being able to play well and, of course, also impacts and how poorly the other team played. You know, they were two for 14 for, for, uh, for third down conversions. We were four and 14. That's not any better at, at all. I mean, it literally mathematically is just a little bit better. But when you have, I mean, we still have those kinks. We got to work out all of those punts back to back to back to back to back. You know, the first eight drives, no one was getting past any point of, you know, of any sort of impact. But I think when we talk about it, you being player of the week, player of the game for us, Dante Foreman, absolutely. I mean, we've been, we've been waiting on that. And you, every single touchdown, he had an impact in the first touchdown instead of DJ. He had the screen pass 33 yards to set him up for that point. The next drive, of course, what was just poetry in motion and the culmination of knowing that the trade was going to work out for us was the three play drive pass to DJ long run by Donta. And then that sets up Chuba Hubbard. And then even with, you know, Tommy trembles, there was about a 30 yarder that he had getting into the red zone right beforehand. So he's been, you know, pushing it and allowing it. And it's interesting because, you know, I mean, and, and like, you know, Michael said right here, we talk about the freaking play calling and I'm not going to let McAdoo get peace until he stops calling screens on third and, t- and third and 10, <laughs> third and plus. I'm not going to give him, it's not, I'm sorry. You had your one screen pass to, 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 to form in that worked and got you that 35 yards to set up that touchdown. That's fine. Not on third and de- not on third down. I'm going to take a look at literally what that play was right here now. Cause I'm guaranteeing you it wasn't on that third down. It was a screen pass on second and nine. That's fine. You want to call your screen pass on second and nine? I'm cool. Not third and nine. That's where it cuts out. Oh, well, I mean, here's the thing. You're still playing with P.J. Walker, right? So no matter how great you feel about it, you do have to understand that he is a turnover machine. And you do have to try to... Come, you have, you have to try to quell that as much as you can. So if the only way you can do it is saying like, eh, we may not get the first down, but at least it wasn't a turnover. Because that's kind of how I felt throughout the game. I'm like, am I happy with the play call? No. Do I want to push it down the field? Yes. But also, we're up. So it's like, what, what, what do I really want? Do I do I want to see this man take a shot? Or just, or, or just do that and get us off the field and let the defense play? Let's also understand, too, what the limitations are around P.J. Welcome to your point, teams. I mean, he's not known for pushing a ball 50, 60 yards down the field at one given moment all the time on a consistent basis, right? We also know that he's also had some accuracy issues, just as he, just as most of our quarterbacks have had in the last three to four that we tried to pick up, right? So accuracy issues is something else. So we didn't want to create the turnover. I think the one good thing is that the defense didn't score the, in, the touchdown for us, right? 
it really pumped up our offense, right? Our offense really felt the confidence of being able to say, you know what? We're going to play complimenting football today. As a matter of fact, we're going to lead the charge today on the field where we all know the first six weeks, it's going to be the defense that's going to score for us because the offense couldn't do anything, right? So let's, I mean, let's, let's go ahead and take our small victories as we get them because everybody thought if you looked on paper, if you listened to the, any, any of the outlets this week, we were going to get smacked in the face. We were going to look like everything else other than CMC, right? No disrespect to the big, the big CC. He's now gone. He's moved on. I think our locker room took it personal. They played with a chip on their shoulder. This was a win. Like we always talk about those in spite of wins. This is an in spite of win, but I think this was also to, to let Steve Wilkes know, listen, we're behind you and we're going to push forward and force forward throughout the season. But I still have one, you know, bone to pick with Wilkes, especially Wilkes and Holcomb. I expected this for Matt Rule, but as a defensive coordinator and a defensive-minded coach, to take it to where the line for the Bucks is already sh- is already in shambles. You got a guy who's not going to be – I mean, he can dip and dink, you know, back behind the line of scrimmage when he needs to, but – to not even attack them, especially when you've been pushing this narrative that Burns is your guy. You're not giving him up for anything. You know, he had, he made a couple impact plays. He, had, he was back there. He had, you know, a couple breakups. But to not send the blitz more than we did is it, still an issue in my mind because you still want to make that impact against this team. You know, you're not worrying about three receivers for the Bucks. You're worrying about Mike Evans. And Chris Godwin, basically. But if I put one person, you know, I, I'm not as pressed for those. Obviously, you're down J.C. Horn, so that's going to be an issue. But I just think you need to send the blitz a bit more still. I, I don't understand why that's been, you know, something we haven't, we've lacked. Yeah, I, I'll agree with you. I mean, if you, if you if you watch Tom Brady historically, the one thing that always gets them unsettled is a blitz. Especially right, especially right down the pipeline. I mean, like you don't don't allow him time to step up in the pocket, maneuver the pocket. But this year has been such a weird year because he hasn't looked comfortable anywhere. And this is the first time I've ever seen Brady just look so disjointed in this offense and, and whatever offense he's playing for look this bad at this point in the season. You know, usually there's like you know the there's a there's a period in the season where the, where a Tom Brady led offense will struggle, but this has been from the beginning. This and, and I don't think there's no end in sight for what the Buccaneers have going on, and, I, and it, it kind of brings up a bigger issue down the line. That I know we'll probably get to about possible head coaching candidates and looking at Byron Leftwich and saying, "My guy, you know, you gotta, you gotta give me a little bit more than this." You feel me? With, with, with the weapons you have, there's kind of no excuse. But that's neither here nor there. But um, you know, Michael three two nine had you know a point. I wanted one one of the issues that I don't think we've gotten to yet, but. The amount of punts, you know, the the, the the amount of time you went without scoring, and your defense, your defense was luckily able to hold it down. But I mean, my, I mean, Michael brings up a great point. I mean, how 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 well can this offense function re, in reality when you know you kind you went about four or five drives without scoring, and you luckily played in a game where the other offense was just as bad, if not worse, and you were able to finally break through and make plays. But I mean. Honestly, I just tell everybody just to enjoy this one. It ain't. It still wasn't pretty. We said it wasn't pretty from the beginning. Uh, it's just one of those things where hopefully the more McAdoo and, and Walker get to work together, the more confident they get within each other and can give us a little bit more. I mean, there were a few drives there where you were right there on the cusp of just keeping it alive on, on, a, on a third and one, but you don't go for it. But understandable, of course, but you just – it just kind of felt like you were knocking on the door until you finally brought through on one. Yeah, we can talk about the punting. I mean, the punting is what we've always done all season long. I mean, we that's the nature of our offense, which is why it was surprising to see some of these big runs break out and also, you know, get some of these big passes downfield. So if we can lean more into 
and understand how we can take advantage of those opportunities more. Uh, we still gave up, though, from a defensive side. We still gave up, gave Tom Brady almost 300 yards. So, I mean, that's something we need to look at there. I mean, Mike Evans beat us down. If he would have catch that pass on, on that deep route route, um, he would have. it would have been a touchdown. That would have changed the course of the game, right? So, you know, it's those little things that actually bounced our way today that helped us. But you know what? If that helped us to catapult on the offensive side of the ball, I'll take it. I'll take it week in and week out. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that play and how the, literally the black sheep of it is that it would have been seven nothing, completely different game right off the bat. Dante, my man, I can't, I, I can't keep doing this. I there, I have no idea what happened there. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt and say your your shoelaces got tied and you fell down. But Evans, who does not normally drop those kind of passes anywhere near so, and not even to the point where he dropped it, he he dropped it, dropped it, and I mean, then he even. Dropped. And, but then even almost had the chance to recover and still take it on. I don't know what was on the ball, too, to start out. Because Xavier Woods who went 40 yards downfield to almost get that pick. And then uh, and then almost got that pick. Where And then, of course, Sam Franklin was like, come on, dude. You got to catch it. I'm like, shut up, Sam. Shut up, Sam. Go back hey, to Matt. Hey, Sam Franklin has been a special teams all-star. You better, put some, you better respect that boy. He's been going wait. crazy on special teams. Wait till Hecker gets out there, then you can say something if you want to do something. And then, and then even the next drive, you know, uh, Ter- uh, Terrence Marshall almost had that catch, you know, on the other side of the ball, and of course it just went right, you know, fell right at the end. I don't know really what was going on with it, and so I think that you know that's a very different thing. And of course it's going to take us this time to get things going with Wilkes and trying to figure it out. It seems like McAdoo has to like get some coffee, get himself him himself wake woken up before he can get going, because I mean there are those times like. Like I was a bit different, you know, a bit, I wasn't expecting as much like that second. I think it was that first drive, you know, it was that fourth and one and Chuba fell like right in front of it. We were on our own 20. I, I wasn't expecting us to do that. It wouldn't have been out of the realm of possibility with the way you had just played it. But I mean, that would have been a pretty dumb decision had you not, had you done it and then not gotten it. But of course, if you get it, you're, you know, your riverboat Ron. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think people people want Steve Wilkes to coach his team as if he coached it to a one and four record when he started, and that's not the case. Steve Wilkes is looking at this from a zero and zero perspective. I, exactly. yeah, I'm we're, we're zero and one under me, but I'm not about to coach this for the next ten weeks as if we that we lost every game because I was the head coach and we like no 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 we're gonna play smart football. We're gonna play conventional football, and if we have opportunities to go for it throughout the game, we will. But until then, I'm going to keep playing this the right way in, in, in the way that it's pretty, it's pretty much written in the book. And, and I, I'm, I'm fine with that, you know, especially if you're able to come out, come out with victories. Right. I, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, this is one of those things where you, you get you get the coach because, you know, in spite of, like you said, one of those in spite of wins. But uh, what does this do moving forward? Like, do we think this has any bearings on how the rest of the season plays out or how this team attacks the rest of the year? We were just joking about that, right? We, we really don't, as a fan, you know, we want to win those games. But as businessmen, as we all are, and we're looking at the future of our organization, does it really make sense for us to be 2-0 and in the division and get ready to mess up somebody's wild card dreams and be in the wild card conversation? You hey. know, these, these things are going to be, you know, put us in really, really bad contention for what we really need is a quarterback. So, I mean, I, I think – Overall, I think it's going to definitely, definitely bring the locker room together. I think the locker room is going to gel a, a whole lot more than it has over the last year and a half. I think it's definitely going to boost them up. I think we're going to go out now. You're going to see us compete now, right? You're going to see us come out and be on the field, be engaged, 
Everybody was hype on the field today. You could just tell by the motion on the sidelines. Guys were in the game from from zero to zero, right? Clock to clock, quarter to quarter. So I think that that's going to carry on. And I think Steve Wilkes has the locker room. If you listen to him and how he speaks to the team and how this team responds to him, and if you watch any of the behind the scenes stuff, these guys are bought in. They're all in on Steve Wilkes, right? And so I think he's going to drive forward. I think the proof is in the pudding. And right now the proof looks pretty good. I still have my qualms. Like I said, if we're looking at him objectively going, you're zero and zero, you're looking to go get the rest of the season like you want to take this job next year and trying to vie for the job next year. That's where, again, things like, you know, the the lack of aggression on defense. When you look at, you know, what Rivera did against Green Bay, when you look at what, you know, Vrabel did up against the Colts and Matt Ryan, you have these older quarterbacks that have that talent downfield, but you throw them off their equilibrium and you're going to get them affected. You saw it on Aaron Rodgers throughout that game and they were sending guys eyes at him and that's where I'm like you need to do that same thing you need to show me I know I said you know last few weeks that had he just proven that if he had changed the culture to where we're in games which he's done so far I think that punches his ticket into the conversation but you know I'm going to be greedy and say you have to keep showing why you should be in this conversation and that means coaching to what you're doing down the field you know the time management was as big of a thing but then if we look offensively because it's also going to matter, you know, in terms of what he's going to do for an offensive coordinator. Unfortunately, the good offensive coordinators that are on the ballots right now are all vying for, you know, head coach conversations. Ken Dorsey, Byron, Ref- Byron Leftwich, they're not just going to stick around to be another offensive coordinator for Steve Wilkes. So you have to really figure out what you're going to do because that's a big issue. I, today I had a big issue. We talked about the crutch that McCaffrey provides you, the blessing and the curse, where people are getting their shots now and it's not going to him. You can see them push that envelope and that narrative towards DJ trying to get him involved. But look at the passing lines after him. Look at the involvement after him. He had one from Tremble and two from Terrace. Terrace, I thought, was awesome and for where we got him. He had that mm-hmm. he has that third catch. He's the leading receiver and he's at a, in an impactful spot. But that's where I'm looking at right now is how you get the rest of these wide receivers involved. Chenault, Higgins, where are you? Smith, I need something from you. Right. Uh yeah, to, to you know, to, to that point about Terrace. Look, it was great to see him finally get an opportunity. And not only that, show that he's a little bit more versatile than Robbie was because some of the routes that he ran, I don't think Robbie makes some of these catches. Some of these, uh, you know, say ones where you have to use your body to be able to shield yourself. I think those are incomplete with Robbie Anderson. He got popped. He took a he took a lick, but he's a big body guy, and that's what we that's what we thought we were getting getting from him when, when we took him. Like, hey, he should be able to be able to go across the middle, take the big licks, and be able to hold on to the ball. And and again, and again uh. I'm excited about the receiving core and what it can be if you understand how to use it. I think, you know, Terry's getting more opportunities, of course. LaVisca, him and what he and what he does well, that should be able to that should be able to net you something in shy. Um they got they they've had moments where they've been able to get him going, but it's never it's never seemed consistent. And I can say and, and neither him or Chanel have found any type of consistency within the play calling that 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 helps them make plays right so that, but but again i think that's a part of the journey that, that, that we're going to be on for the next what how many games are, how many games are left now the next 10 10, 10 games yeah. Yeah. the yeah, next you got million. yeah you got 10 you got you got 11 weeks left to be having had a bye week yet so you have 11 weeks left of football where they're going to be they're going to have to they're going to have to figure that out so i mean it, it's going to be a journey i think this I, I think the intriguing part is that i i kind of just erase i'm kind of erasing everything that's happened prior and just kind of giving this team a new slate and saying what are you going to look like? And again, it's been a great opportunity for the young guys to establish yourself as a professional. I mean, you saw, I saw Steve Smith say, like, I mean, he's played on these teams before. And the biggest thing, the best thing you can do as an individual, 
is put your best foot forward out there, out there on tape because you're still vying for your jobs and on 31 other NFL teams. So don't think this is where it stops. I mean, you, this is this is your trial for the rest of the league. Yeah, I mean, I think Terrence did what he could do out of out of three targets. You know, he had interceptions. I mean, he had 30 some odd yards. I mean, I think he did he did he did, he did really well. Um, you know, I think also like you're saying, Shantis, I think going for it, we're going to look different every week. I don't think you're going to see a, the same team week after week. You know what I mean? And what I mean by that, it goes back to my original comment of us playing to the point of we're going to, going to do what the defense allows us to do. Let's not try to get cute and fancy on the outside of that, right? The only way that we're successful, if we come out and the run's working, guess what we're going to do? We're going to figure out a way to run, right? We're going to figure out a way to get those runs in. If they come out and they've given us those short dink and dunk, that's what we're going to do. We're going to come out, we're probably going to do those short dink and dunks until you get sick in the face, Right. So we're just going to continue to move the ball in that way. I think the key to this offense and the key to this team will be our red zone and two-minute offense. We don't clean yeah. that up. We will not be in these conversations week in and week out. I think today we saw where we are trying to identify ourselves and how we can make that a much more efficient use of the time and the opportunity within the red zone. We've got to nail that down. We've got to get tighter in that spot, in that space, right? We can't depend on the time we tremble to get open over the top in the flat. That's not going to happen every time, right? We're not we're not going to get that with, say, an Atlanta Falcons secondary. We're not going to get that with some of these other secondaries we're going to be seeing late in the season. So I think that those are things that we have to really, really tighten up and buckle down on. As well as, to your point, Jack, we got to stop on third down throwing a screen. If I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm salivating on third downs every time I come to Carolina or every time Carolina comes. I'm like, oh, we already know what they're going to do. Yeah. Might as well go ahead and get ready for it. So we gotta we, we gotta get better at that disguising those schemes and using Chuba Hubbard and Dante Foreman, use them interchangeably. I've been saying it since we got Dante. I've been saying it since the beginning of preseason. We gotta use that multiple back system. And even though I said it even more, we need a two tight end set. If we do that, I think we'll be a little bit more successful and we'll be have a little bit more skim schematics going on. And it's weird because I don't know, you know, the effect that it's Steve Wilkes is having offensively, you know, in terms of, but it seems like a completely different thing because something we've been lacking, especially like you, t- you talked about it, that, you know, two minute offense, three minute offense. We got that first touchdown. We got the ball with about three and a half to go mm-hmm. in that half. Drove downfield, got it to 30 seconds down. Good time management, good long sustained drive to go all the way downfield. And that's how you have to get those drives. Something we've always, la- we've been lacking for a while too, though, is having a game where you have big play drives for touchdowns. And then also long, consistent, sustaining drives for touchdowns. You had both of those this week, and that's what I really like to see, the red zone efficiency. But then you talk about 4-12 and 12 for third downs. You, you cannot have that. That's not going to get you – that's not going to get you a winning game against most teams and against most defenses. Yeah. And you, that's something you got to tighten up. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, but, 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 again, to, the, to that point, I still look at how that offense operating, I say that – PJ looked as confident as any quarterback has looked for Carolina so far, whether it be in the preseason or in the regular season. Like I, I it, the throw, the, the touchdown throw to um, DJ Moore, right? The first, uh, like the, his first touchdown. That was that was one where you, man, you trust yourself to be able to put that put that ball on, on the money. Whereas if, if this was Baker, he would have double clutched that three times, ran around, dropped back, stepped up again. Sat back and thought about it, then just taking a sack because he's not confident and what and whatever the play calling is, he's just not confident in whether it be his footwork or the plays that that are being called. And I will say that I do think, I mean, 
I don't know. I guess I wonder was you know was Baker the issue with this offense all along, or was it the Marrow influence that was the issue? Like I don't want to put it on just Baker because it's hard for me to just put it on an A player. But how that offense was being called today, so com- so more confidence. I I feel like I feel like then. Then Baker, then the play call that we that we may have get, given Baker, or it may have just been PJ Walker is just a confident son of a gun to the point where whether it's a pick or a touchdown, he's going to he's going to throw that thing with with the utmost confidence and just and just live with the result. Well, Sean Chase, I think we've kind of alluded to it, right? We used to force the offense through CMC no matter what. He was our first choice before anything else. We couldn't even see outside the box if CMC was in there, right? So that's what I'm saying. Him not being here forces us to look at the offense in a much more diverse way, right? And so that, to me, is going to be the change you're going to see, which is why I said we're going to be a different team week in and week out. Just because this week it was Terrace Marshall coming in and doing his thing, DJ Moore coming in and doing you never know. Next week it could be Dante Foreman going for 200 yards, right? It just depends on what that defense is going to give us for that day for that particular game. And I'll also say one stat that we're not really saluting the team for today, zero fumbles, guys. Zero fumbles on the day. I mean, that's something we haven't had in I don't know how long. No, that's that's a big one. The ter- I mean, having it to where there were zero turnovers is a big thing. Shanti, to your point, I got to say, you know, I think that it comes down to – because you could you could prop it up kind of like you know the situation you if you, anyone who listens you know looks at anything with South Carolina you could prop it up the same situation is it Rattler that is the problem or is it the lackluster play calling coming from the from the boy upstairs you don't know which one or the other because then you have a game like you know Texas A&M where they're both doing bad at it but they're also both doing good at it and you don't really know how to analyze it you look at even the 49ers tonight I mean is that Shanahan is it Jimmy Garoppolo literally holding the ball for 45 seconds and not getting it out of the, out of his hands when you've got guys downfield I think a big part of it though has to go with individual mindsets you look at Baker Baker knows if he's not injured he's starting in this game for the most part at least that is his thought process at least like you know especially prior to the injury that was his thought process unless I go down I'm starting this game no matter what happens because they're not going to put it Sam's injured and they don't trust PJ especially out of the new regime you know going with it PJ now looking at it he had you know was given a very short leash last week under the you know against with who they were playing first game under Steve Wilkes he was given a very very short leech we saw you know with the net yardage of literally one yard past the line of scrimmage to the point where even Jacob Eason was able to get that same play that it was able to blow up he gets 56 yards and a perfect passer rating off of three plays for PJ though you got to think of his mindset right now he knows that Baker is working out right now all week we were like okay is it Baker Sam or PJ we have no idea PJ thought he was we thought he was in concussion protocol we thought you know Sam was looking like he was going to come back they were pulling Baker you know they didn't know what they were doing with him we didn't know who was playing we didn't know who was starting it was up in the air and now even going forward you know you see Baker working out in practice you see him moving around Sam's again inkling out there PJ knows his job is not guaranteed I think the thing with his passes is you saw not only were they confident, but they were incredibly accurate to the point where they weren't on spot on, but no one else was catching it outside of those wide receivers. The, the ones, the ones, the terrace on the sideline, they, he threw it in a way where literally only terrace is going to catch that ball. He might get destroyed or be, drop it or not be in, you know, in bounds. Same with DJ on that third, on that touchdown drive, what he didn't catch it. We called the challenge on it, which DJ, come on now, you know, you didn't catch that, <laughs> you know, he, I mean, but I, I, you got to do it, but he, he knew he didn't get that foot down. But even that play, he threw that, that ball three yards out of bounds. 
so only DJ could get it. Even the touchdown to DJ was at the very back of the end zone, whereas Sam, like you said, Sam or Baker probably would have thrown that two yards short, and the free safety is going to come around and take that, you know, take that the other direction. So I think, I think PJ just got that mindset of knowing if I don't play well, if I don't play precise, then it's going to be an issue. But I have to be confident, but also precise with it. Okay, okay. I, I, I would agree to that. And so now do we think, do you give the quarterback job away once one of those guys are healthy? Because, I mean, you ain't played good enough football for anybody to necessarily feel like a job is owed to them. Baker or Sam, like neither one of y'all have played great ball to make me feel that I should just give it to you whenever it's time. Do you just let PJ Walker rock out until it until the until 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 the until the well runs dry? Shantisa, I'll tell you just like this. We're auditioning every week. The hot hand goes. Why would we not why would we roll off of PJ now when he's done more than what Baker did in the first four games? We I mean, let's let's be hundred percent honest with that. The only difference is Baker has a little bit more cachet with him other than right. that nobody nobody's looking for pj walker right pj's coming in and he's playing the ball efficiently he's got the offense behind him he seems to be making the right plays at the right time i still think that he's still playing hero ball to a certain extent where he's trying to force certain things from time to time and those second those second down iterations where he may be second and nine second and eight he's trying to push it so he doesn't have a third and long he's not taking what the defense is giving him trying to make a splash play that comes with trying to keep the job to your point, Chantese. I will also say that if we do what we're supposed to do, that piece of who's going to run that offense is going to be is going to work itself out. But right now, you got to ride PJ. There'd be no I, reason why you wouldn't. I think the NFL right now is showing you you ride with the hot hand that's feeding you right now. If, if mm-hmm. at this point, Bailey Zappi staying in until he loses a game right now. Geno Smith, Cooper Rush. I mean, obviously, Dak came in, did what he needed to yeah. do. But at this point, that's what you've seen facilitated throughout this year. And to this point, like, I mean, because you talk about the cachet. Look, at we haven't used Baker in a way that is different from anything that we're using PJ or that we used Sam at all. Like, all the things that I wanted to see from Baker, the maneuverability, the open eyes downfield, maybe being able to pull, take and run, you know, and spread the, and spread the wealth. I've seen none of that from him. I've seen the same from PJ. You know, he's not moving around, obviously, outside the pocket, but it's not like Baker is. And when Baker does... Baker has been then offsetting it with holding the ball for 45 minutes, throwing the ball to no Lord knows who. And, and, you know, I think he has been operating with that negative mindset. I mean, even, you know, when everything was happening to Sean, he asked for a trade before Deshaun even landed in Cleveland with that mindset of, I don't need to prove myself. I know what I'm worth. And I think he came into this with that same mentality, realizing it's not as easy to facilitate that when, you know, you don't have those safety nets in place that we clearly don't have. So, yeah, I mean, right now, I don't think – and the the thing I hated with Matt Rule so much as part of, you know, prove it if you want to play was not only when, you know, that they needed to prove it, but that the proving it came from practice. I understand practice is where you need to – you find those things, and that's where they win those battles. It's not training camp and mini camp anymore. Once you get into the season, practice – I'm not going to upset the football god and say practice means bub kiss, but like you, you don't base off who's going to be starting, especially if you have the resume and and the tape of past games. So for me, practice, I I can take it or leave it. It's, what's funny about practice is that your best guys. I here's the thing. I I kind of got I got a great feeling that your best guys are not the hardest competitors at practice. I know this only because hell half of them don't practice throughout the rest, throughout the week. <laughs> 
like at what point do you really get a chance to see like oh yeah he's really ready to go this week like you know then you had, i mean and you got guys like the terrace who did who never got an opportunity on, under matt rule like well well, when was he ever going to get the opportunity? If practice is is the only way you're going to determine how you know how guys play, I'm like, bro, like if he doesn't play at all, we don't see him on, we don't see him on the field. I I can't imagine that practice is just going to just tell you so much. At some point, you have to put him on the field and let him play. And if he's on your roster, I I would hate the fact I would hate the thing that you have if you have a 53 man roster and you don't have every player being viable to play at some point if necessary, right? So you know. That is, you know, that is what it is. Because that's what we always did with both. That's what we always did with, you know, Brady Christensen. It was, oh, you know, he hasn't really proved himself in practice yet. He's not been gelling there in practice. We really need to see it in practice. Like, once you pass the preseason, the practice is for the practice squad to show that they're they're good enough. The practice squad is to keep the guys that you can't pay, like your Burris, who you're going to pay, you're going to sign him, come in, do what he needs to do. Everyone else, they're trying to prove that they need to be on the roster itself. Everyone on the roster is on the roster for a reason. So if you have the hot hand that you're feeding right now, then you keep them in. And so that that that's that's my two cents on it. So I only, I only disagree with the practice thing right now, except for it's because our team, that's the only way we're going to be able to evaluate who's going to play on Sunday, right? Except for the DJs and the just and the Burns and the JC Horns, right? Outside of that, practice is how we're evaluating. PJ commands the offense in a way I don't think Baker can. And I mean that because PJ seems to be calm, cool, collected, and he seems to be efficient. He's not a he's not our franchise quarterback. He knows that. He knows that he's here for a finite amount of time. He's going to make the most of that opportunity, which is why I said everybody's going to audition every week. And I mean, you're gonna you're gonna come in and it's gonna be that type of a conversation. Right now, you rob PJ Walker because we've gotten the most offense out of him. And we did out of Baker. The ghost whisperer is still seeing ghosts. So who else do we have? We're not going to go to Eason. And if you did go to Eason, that's a that's a no-brainer. We're tanking. That's a for sure sign we're tanking if Eason starts, right? But on the real on a, on a, on a real conversation is you got to go with the hand that's hot. And right now, even at the LA Rams game, as it was, he was still somewhat efficient when he came to the line. I think he was in over his head as anybody would have been that week. We had a short week. We had an upheaval of, of, of a lot of different things. Then you got the Robbie Anderson fiasco on the sideline. So you got that distraction going on with everything else, right? So these are things, these are things that you have to work your way through. And I think that you're going to see going forward, Steve Wilkes is going to go with the guy that's in the room on Monday and I mean, on Tuesdays who has the best um, camaraderie amongst that room who has the best chance to win on that Sunday. And he's already proven that. He's not running any of these daytime soap operas for you. He's not going right. to fill out of these out. You know, right. just because you got a check from Tepper does not mean that you are guaranteed anything like that. He did it exactly. day one, letting go of Snow, letting go of those other guys. And Rule <clears throat> would do that, right? He did it to Cam, and Rule and Tepper both wanted to prove that the people that they were paying – were worth what they were paying them. So that's what he did to Cam. We brought Cam back for a reason. So we're going to overplay him again and again and again to the point where he's literally de deteriorating on the sideline instead of playing the hot hand like we should have done that season and letting PJ and Cam flip it. Let's not forget, folks, we were talking about playing PJ over Cam last year when we had Cam. We said, keep it with the way it was. Put Cam inside the red zones and you leave PJ between the hashes. You keep him in. 
So that should translate into it now. And it's good that rule is not here because if the scenario were occurring under rule, you know who would be on the field come next week. It would be Baker. And that's over his own guy. But he would be doing it because Tepper's saying, hey, I paid this guy. We brought him in. You need to put him on the field to make me look smart. Steve is like, you know what? You want to win? We're giving you the win. Go upstairs. You can come down when you want to and when we want you to. But we're putting in the guy we need to put in. Yeah, you know, some of the decision-making on the rule, we all know that. And most of it didn't make sense. And to your point, Jack, like, you know, when Cam came last year, like – Wait, 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 this has been your guy since Temple. And you kept them on the roster, even though a lot of us have felt that he shouldn't be an NFL quarterback to start with. But when the opportunity came to have him start for at least a little while until you can get your your free agent that you just signed up to speed, you said no. And you just went with the other guy and just and 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 it it went how it went. I think for that exact reason, because you didn't really give a guy a chance that knew the offense. You didn't let you didn't allow him to even you know, to, to at least be even be able to operate, like you said, use them at least between the twenties and let Cam take the red zone. But that's neat, uh, ne- that's neither here nor there. But I, mean, I guess the thing, the next thing is now, like you know, I mean, I don't think we ever talked about how we feel about the CMC trade as a group. I know I got to talk about it, but uh, oh. you know, yeah, how we, how we feeling? I mean, my emotions are over with. I'm, I'm done with the crying in our shower and banging my head against the wall while we're doing it. <laughs> but at the end of the day. It's a business decision. Like I told you guys, I think we talked about this at the beginning of the season. We said it a couple of weeks ago. We have to start looking at the organization post-CMC. This was the best year for us to trade him because he's not injured. So we're not dealing with a guy who's been sitting on the sideline for two and a half years. And nobody's like, everybody's like, does he still have it? You can obviously see he still has that spot. And I think honestly and truthfully, he needed to see what's left in the tank for himself. And he couldn't do that in Carolina. We don't have, we didn't, we didn't have things in place for him to see him you know, go out in that way. I think it was a needed move. Am I happy he's going? No, not really, because he is Mr. Panther. But at the end of the day, as you saw today, it's transitioned into something that we can now see. We've got a lot of tools back there that we had that were just hidden behind him. We needed the picks for our new coach to make our to make our uh, our team look somewhat agreeable to getting a decent here next year. I don't want somebody just to take the job just to say they get, became a head coach. I want somebody to come in here change the culture and put us back on the map. So we needed those picks to make that happen. I'm glad he's not in our division. I'm, I'm still upset he's in the NFC. I understand why he got traded to San Francisco. I mean, that's a lineage thing. That's nepotism at its best. Um, I think that, you know, but I think it's a great opportunity for CMC. I think him being in that in that system and that organization with Kyle Shanahan, the boy can do work if he stays healthy. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, that was like – it's this this Charlotte sports syndrome too that we just continue to see all these people go. All right, they're gone. We don't have room for them anymore. Okay, sure. But Thomas Davis is going to go play five more seasons and continue to ball out. Greg Olson's still going to make you know, make waves where he goes. Steve Smith is going to go to Baltimore, and make us look like idiots. D'Angelo Williams is going to go to the Steelers for another half a decade. Even you go into basketball and going forward, it's just this aggravation of. Yes, I love seeing you do well. I wish that we could find a way that we would have done it here. The point was everyone was on Twitter saying, you know, we never should have tried to build our team around a franchise running back. We never should have tried to, you know, supply Cam with the weapons and give him a running back. Yes, those are all fine points. That's not the issue. We shouldn't have put ourselves in this position to where we have to get rid of him because whatever you want to believe about McCaffrey and his injuries, you had not had a franchise running back that was that versatile and had meant that much to you since early years of D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart combined, you know, even both of them separately had their issues together. They were great. 
And then you see talk about, you know, obviously we gave Williams that bigger deal. Things kind of went downhill from there. Stewart can never stay healthy. But, you know, when you have a, such a run-centric team, he, it was like, okay, fantastic. We're not going to have wide receivers. We'll make it work without wide receivers. And come to mind, we had wide receivers and talent when he was in. We didn't use him the first year for whatever reason. That's a Rivera-ism. And then you work with, okay, now Cam's injured. Now Olsen. Like, had Cam been healthy that entire time before McCaffrey's injury, the 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 – the conversation would have been completely different. Now you can talk about haves and would-haves and could-haves whenever, but the thing that, you know, I, I took away from it. I was obviously sad to see him go. Happy to see him go to the 49ers. You know, that's, if he's going to go somewhere, I wanted to go, you know, with Debo, make some splashes. It's going to hurt if we ever have to see them again. Um, but you know, you can say what you want. You can be petty. One team walked away with a win today. The other team walked away with a loss. So take that as, as it is, but um I would have rather him gone to the Bills, obviously, but if what is what if what was said is to be believed, and they were only offering Devin Singletary or James Cook in a second rounder, come on, you're smarter than that. You're smarter than that up there. You know that's not going to fly. What you know what you gave for Stephon Diggs? You think that's going to get you McCaffrey? So that I was like, yeah, it's not going to happen. The, it's a more of the tepperisms where I'm like, stop running your mouth unless you are absolutely going to back it up. You know, whether those reports came out or from him or leaked somewhere down the line, we're only going to take a first-round pick. We don't need anything else. Well, you're going to bite yourself in the ass when then no first-round picks are coming up for you. The only teams that are vying for them, both of them don't have first-round picks. So what were you going to do? And according to Jordan Rodriguez, you know, longtime Panthers beat reporter, she said it literally came down to the fact that the 49ers had a second, third, fourth, and fifth, and the Rams had a second, third, and fifth. So, I mean, I'm happy we got a full draft for him. And, you know, this again is the first, this, what I'll say, we can touch on this later, but this will be Fitterer's, you know, most important draft of his entire career because the ties to rule are gone. Now you have a full draft to work with where last year you had more control, but you had less picks. So that's going to be one thing. I think, you know, for McCaffrey, it's, I just don't know because you look at it today and you see what we were able to do with these running backs. And it's kind of the same thing last year when, you know, McCaffrey went down, but Hubbard still was able to at least make impact. What I, it just baffles me what the issue was and why we could not make it work here coming post his injuries, whether it was trying to hold him back. So we didn't lose him after giving him that much money or, you know, just, uh, just not breaking through the second level. I, I just, I don't know. You know what's gonna be what's gonna be fun to watch for me um, is what Kyle Shanahan does with them because as McCaffrey gets more comfortable in the offense, he'll obviously take the reps from Jeff Wilson and he'll probably usurp him as a starting running back. But when that happens and you have the conundrum of yeah, I could use Debo here, but I got this guy. Oh yeah, I could use Ayuk right here, but I got this guy. Like, does that same thing happen? And is it just the issue of fam McCaffrey's just too damn versatile? to just not use 24-7. We'll see it with this coach. I think Shanahan will be a good indicator of is it is is it that is is it really that tough to plan around McCaffrey? Right. We'll I, I think we'll see that. And to and to the point about Scott Fritter, a lot, you know, a lot of people are not sold on Scott being the guy, you know, to help lead this team into the future. And while I, and I do understand because fam, some of the contracts that are under his name they they don't look great. When you go to the Robbie, you know, re-signing Robbie, you know, after his deal was getting ready to be up, he re-signed him to, to even more money. Luckily, you were able to get him off the Shaq Thompson deal. Now the Dante Jackson deal, the trading for for Sam Donald, the trading for Baker Mayfield. 
there are a lot of moves that I that that people just don't love. I mean, even giving away picks for Stephon Gilmore to not even keep him or not even really push to resign him come the offseason and letting a guy like Hassan Reddick walk. Like, there are a lot of moves I know people are going to hold uh, Scott accountable for. And I guess the only thing is that we don't know who was really at fault. But That's what I was going to say, Sean Chase. That's what I was going to say, right, to piggyback. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah. I don't think a lot of – I would say I don't think that those were his sole decisions on his own. I think there was some influence behind the scenes of we've got this in the works. We need you to close the deal. You're coming and, in. You're you're the new guy on the block. We've got this in the hopper. Besides, let's take Baker Mayfield off the table because Baker Mayfield was most likely something that he did pull the trigger on, right? But you're talking mm-hmm. about the Sam Darnold and all of that going on, the re-signing of Dante. He was handicapped. Who are we going to get to come into the Panthers at that point, right? I, so some of those contracts, I think, were, weren't his sole decision. I'm sorry, Jack. Right no, I no, I was going off. I mean, it's, you got, got to look at, like, you know, the president of the United States. He was coming in with a lame duck president who said, I don't care what's going to happen when I leave. I'm going to make sure all these contracts are horrible. So he spent the first two years – you know, year, two years trying to make up for that, trying to dig us out of that hole that, yeah. you know, that, that he put us in. And then, like you said, going forward, I mean, it's again, like a president, he had this cabinet around him, this Congress around him that all wanted, had their hands in the pot. And we know the issues with Tepper and we know now more than ever, how much rule actually was doing well out of the realm of what he was responsible for up and even to the social media department where he had his hands. In. And there was obvious guys, you know, that they wanted to give cap that they wanted to get, that he wanted to give money to, I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to get Gilmore. We know the ba- the background he came from in Seattle. I, it would not surprise me had he, he wanted to give Gilmore that money. You get to that point where Gilmore probably didn't want to stay, and especially if they're going, if he has to prove himself and fight to stay. And now he's running the way he is, and you know, in Indy. Same with you know Hassan. Again, you know they they had their issues. You know they wanted to give the more money to more people, not consolidate it to these guys that were actually balling out because they thought you know we can make it work without them. I think specifically and you think about it even more so because you look at the offensive side of the ball outside of Sam and Baker the decisions that were made you know Cam Irving and, and Pat Fine were before him horrible yep. or I think right when he got there horrible we knew and then you bring in Bozeman and Corbett we knew those were going to be impactful Foreman we knew was going to be impactful we were ready for that Higgins Chenault all these guys coming in we're like okay they're going to make impact but look who was on the defensive side of the coaching staff around this time, the puppet master supposedly in Phil Snow and Matt Rule. There's a reason why, you know, those defensive signings didn't always follow through. We knew what Phil Snow wanted as linebackers, and that's where you get your Damian Wilson, Corey Littleton, Tahir Whitehead, because we haven't forgotten about that. We haven't forgotten about that one. Tahir White, you know, all these guys that they had a specific mold for. They're positionless, even to the point of the draft. We're like, we want these positionless players. And Federer's probably sitting there like, yeah, because that's what, you know, had the Seahawks shutting out the Broncos in Super Bowl 49. That's definitely, or Super Bowl 48. That's definitely what made that work. Right. And so I think that, like I said before, what I alluded to, he's got a full draft now. He's got little, he's got full picks, mm-hmm. full range, mm-hmm. no rule. Hopefully Tepper's taking a back seat. And Wilkes and Holcomb and McAdoo, I don't think are going to be vying as hard for who they want. You know, McAdoo probably wanted Corral more than whoever, but that's, Whatever they might not even, we don't even know who's going to be in the coach. Like it's gotten to the point now where he's been solidified. The coaches are not. We don't know what or who our coaches are going to be come draft day. We know who our GM is going to be. So this is where I'm like, all right, you you traded away the face of the of the franchise for less than what you wanted, but arguably more than what a lot of people have been have been getting for a player. Now take that and run with it. You turn down two first rounders 
for Burns, which personally I agree with, because if the reports are to be believed and it was coming from Philadelphia, then I'm not giving Philadelphia any more flowers, any more chances. They, you, you make it work with who you got already. <laughs> I don't want to hear anything else. You got Reddick from us. You got AJ Brown. You don't need anyone else because also those picks are going to be 30 or 32 more well, than likely. Well, here's the thing. You know, the, the Eagles have the Saints pick, and the Saints pick is currently sitting in the top five. Well, the, we don't know. Oh, well, yeah, but it, it depends on how the Saints finish. But if I had to guess, the Saints are going to finish somewhere in that top, top 10. 10. It's for, top 10. Yeah. We don't know which one of those picks also that first round. Oh, that's uh, and, 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 and that is true. But to me, the only way we can even talk is if you give me that Saints pick. That's the only we can. That's the, that's what the conversation has to start at. Like I need that pick because I know that pick is a top ten, a top ten pick, and we and now we can easily go grab whoever, whatever quarterback we like, and whatever piece we want to go, we, we want to go alongside of whether it be an edge rusher or whomever, right? Um, but well, I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not giving up a Burns. I'm not giving up a Derrick Brown. I'm not giving up a Horn. I'm not even giving up a DJ. I mean, you're talking about rebuilding this franchise. You need cornerstones. Those are cornerstone guys. Yeah. DJ, especially. DJ, right now, if we can get Shaq up out of here um, at some point in time and to get some more youth up back there, um, I think they will be a good veteran to help lead this team. I think you get, if you have him in place on the offensive side of the ball, you got Icky going to come. I think Icky is going to be a, a good leader next year because he's doing work right now. You keep Brian mm -hmm. Burns where he is. Chen's going to come back healthy. And JC's going to eventually get out of this injury bug situation. I think we got a good situation. I wouldn't get up off of Burns no matter what. I think they, they have a good core that they're looking at to build around. I wouldn't forge I wouldn't forge my future on anything other than, than that right now. And then going out here, uses, using these picks to not only get a quarterback, we got to do this offensive line. We got to yeah. retool this offensive line. I, yeah, I agree. I think that, you know, like you said, you want to keep it every level of defense, especially on the defense. When you came in, that was the biggest thing. And I think, again, Fitterer also understands that we got to look at the at where he came from and the impact that the defense had in Seattle for the longest mm -hmm. time. And he knows defense wins championships. That's why that first draft was seven defensive players all off the bat. Now, they might not have been in the seven defensive players that he wanted, but you still get Derek Brown and Jeremy Chin in that which sidebar, that was a weird name that I didn't see in the list of untouchables, which I understand with injury, you know, he's not in their mindset right now and might not be in people's mindsets, but to at least say, you know, Jeremy Chin's one of them. Cause for me, you want someone at each level of the defense to be that young guy. Like you're saying, you have, you have JC in the back, JC and maybe Chin too. You have them back. That's solidified. You're building upon them. You've got Burns in the forefront. You've got him solidified, you know, Burns and Brown going together. You want one, maybe even two, Linebackers, where we're having the issue right now. Linebackers, mm -hmm. where you know I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. we, we and that's been an issue when we when he came into the role. We had no veterans at any point. We had only our young guys, and we're getting to this part now where these young guys are starting to turn. They're starting to come up the hill. They're in that second level, getting to the point where they could be those veterans. But when he came in, we had no one at any point anywhere. We had literally we didn't have, we had young super young guys that weren't playmakers, and then we had just and Shaq was our oldest guy. And so I yep. think that that's where, you know, he's like, I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give him up, especially, you know, again, those first rounders would be nice. But as far as Edra, like if it was just, this is personally for me, obviously when you have a guy like Will Anderson and how insane he is, there's a point to be made about, okay, you have to at least look at him. But if you, as Fitterer believe that, you know, it's more so right now, a, 
dependent upon who we have back as a coach and not necessarily who we have on the field. I don't think giving up a guy that you already have as a cemented, you know, he still clearly has a lot of room to grow, but you can make the argument has that developed been curtailed by the coaching staff defensively that was put in there in the first place. And if someone's going to bring that up, it's going to be Al Holcomb and Steve Wilkes. So Burns, you have, you know, he can do what he needs to do. If it's just giving it up to where like, you're fairly certain you're going to be in the top 10 as it is. And there's not as many teams in that area looking for quarterbacks as, you know, as you know, severely right now, I think that you don't need to take that risk right off the bat and you stick with the first round you're going to get and then go past that point. Yeah, I mean, and it's hard to find. I like you, and, and, and to your point, Jason, it's hard to find cornerstone pieces. Like those are hard to come by. That's what you sit in the. That's what you sit in in, in the gulag for, and get those picks to to be able to to accumulate those those cornerstone guys, and you don't just sell them off for anything. You know, it's got to be it's got to be a significant amount. And and I think I do think that a, the, a, an offer. I don't know when the trade deadline is, but I do think an offer is probably going to come down the pipeline. That's gonna be hard to refuse. I think somebody's gonna make gotta 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 make that uh make that push. But for Carolina, I think you gotta stand pat and just say, look, uh, like you said, Brian Burns, Derek Brown, JC Horn, those guys are the untouchables, and we can't move off them. Because I mean, at least for now, I don't think that a rebuild, even in its current state right now, would take an exceedingly long time. As long as you keep those guys in place, the defense would be in place. It would be all about getting the quarterback and you know possibly some possibly another another receiver or two but the offensive line's been fixed so like like everything we we wanted fixed coming into the rule era actually got fixed the defense got the we had we got some young defensive guys that we like we fixed the offensive line finally got our staple at left tackle at least that at least so far that what we who, who we think is going to be our staple and he's helping uh, at his brady moment. out there he's helping brady out there too them two on the left right now brady's yeah. looking like yeah. he's living up to that pick and and more Exactly. I mean, I mean, we talk about left side of the line. That's, I mean, both of those guys are. I mean, one guy's in the second year in the league. One guy's a rook, and they and they've improved each and every week. And we've luckily had the you know the the grace and opportunity to have these guys play together for an extensive amount of time. Now hasn't been a lot of injuries. I mean, F line went out, but Bozeman stepped in. A guy that was. Hey, look, look, I got that. Hey, you know, Bozeman was at least a guy that started out as the starter at the beginning of, uh, of this whole thing. So. Man, the offensive line we have in place now, I don't think that a, a rebuild will be that long for Carolina. No, no, but I think, you know, again, what I mean by offensive line is we still need to get some more guys in there because, you know, injuries you need depth. a dozen. Yeah, you need a lot of depth. Yeah, that's um, true. And I don't necessarily want to go and get these guys who are on their seventh year coming off, you know, getting transitioned off of another team. I would rather draft them, right? I would right. rather use some of these picks that we've got to draft some of these young guys. And that's what I mean by that perspective. And then, of course – getting our quarterback. But I, I believe you're right, Shantese. I don't think we're that far off from a rebuild if we keep these cornerstone people. But I'd be more than happy to give you a package of Shaq or Dante Jackson whenever y'all are ready to have that conversation. I'm, I'm willing to listen. I don't look at the coverage chart necessarily or maybe the all 22 that much, but as far as presence goes, Keith Taylor wasn't horrible. He was not good, but at least he was not good. But as far as it goes, I mean, I, and I didn't have, and this was the best thing. I didn't have to yell at CJ at any point. There was no point where I was like, come on, CJ, get it together. And he actually made a, you know, the last play before he got hurt, he actually made a, he made a great play on that fourth and one. That's what I'm saying. Shot through, took, uh, 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 took, took out for Nestle, made a great play. I mean, hopefully, hopefully he's going to yeah. be okay and can play for us next week. Cause, I, mean, we, I mean, a game against Atlanta, 
is very winnable. Now, now a lot of games look winnable now that you messed around and won this one today. So things are things are kind of changing as far as like how we have to look at some of these games moving forward. And we'll Atlanta still about, makes me nervous, though. Atlanta still makes me nervous. It makes me at, real nervous. Look, at, we have not beaten Atlanta. We have not beaten Atlanta I, I, in like three, four, three, four years, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know the exact time we've actually beaten Atlanta. I want to say it happened within the rule era, but yeah. me doesn't necessarily believe that that is true. I th- I, I'm fairly certain we have. It's crazy because, enough, we, we beat them in Atlanta. JB, yeah. Justin Bird made, made, made the big play in that one. He, That's he, right. He got the pick off of Matt Ryan. But it's gotten to that point where I can't even remember where we when we've been Atlanta, and it'd be weird. It, was, it would be so weird to say we're three and zero in the division and three and five. But at this point, I would like to beat Atlanta. I would. I, I if it goes to the point where we're only winning the you know the conference games and we're losing all the other games and we stay within the top ten, sure. I'm okay. Have we beaten them last trick year? Trick or treat. Like, I just trick or treat, baby, in Atlanta. Trick or treat in Atlanta. Let's go get it. I want that. Did we did we split with Atlanta last year? I didn't I think, think we, we did. did. I thought we lost. I, to thought, I, I thought we split with them. We did beat Atlanta, but we beat them in Atlanta. I think we beat them in Atlanta again. They beat us, think yeah, Sam beat us at home. They always beat us they, at home. They always beat us at home. Because Cam would have been. Cam wasn't. Cam was on a team. Well, no, they, they beat us. That said, they beat us with Cam because they beat the piss out of us with Cam. Actually, yeah. I think Sam went crazy in the in first Atlanta, one though. But that was that in was Atlanta. in Atlanta. Yeah, that was in Atlanta because he went home for that game. Yeah. I just would like to continue to go along and and beat Atlanta. And, and do that. That would be that would be it for me. That would be you know keep it going as long as we stay within that ten you know in that top ten. That's where I'm sitting at. And I think realistically we can do that. I mean they have proven a lot more you know of a fighter than the than the Bucks or the Saints. It's going to be the toughest division game we have had all season, and it's going to be one of those games where you know we need to look. Well, I we just need to look like we're continuing to improve. I think we can implement the same things. You need to attack the pass a bit more too, if you would like to, you know. Prove yourself as that kind of team, but I think it is something that is doable. Yeah, I, look, this, man, this this, this game is going to be tough. I mean, I think Atlanta is a very a very winnable game. If your defense plays the way it's played the last few weeks, I don't see Marcus Mariota in that offense, no matter what they like to do. I don't see that being being effective. Now they like to run the ball in between the tackles. We'll see how great our young. We'll see how we'll see how start our, our our run defense is this upcoming week, and kind of secondary keep guys at bay to allow our allow our linebacker to be able to play full steam ahead. It's a very winnable game, a game that I do want to win because I just I'm just not wired to want to lose. So hopefully we get the job done. Without question, without question, I think I think this would be a good another another big challenge. Um, they're coming to us if I'm not mistaken. Oh no, we're in Atlanta. No, we're going to them. We're, we're going, going to Atlanta. So we're in Atlanta. It's Halloween. It's time for us to go get our trick or treat bags. Big <laughs> things happen on Halloween. Keep my fingers crossed, and uh, we're gonna go in and hopefully come out with a W. And this is another thing, you know, it'll be their their you know atmosphere has been getting better week by week because they've yep. been continuing to compete week by week. You still need your first road win as a coach, and you know under this new program under this tutelage. So I'm looking for that first road win. It's gonna be different than playing at home. Not as much, I mean, depending upon, you know, how bad it was in Bank of America this week. But it's going to be a different environment that, you know, I want to see how you perform under. So that's that's another one where I'm like, all right, let's see how it goes. But, of course, now we're, we can keep pounding. We're not really waiting anymore. We're just kind of we're – just, we're, just, we're, just, we're along for the ride. Yeah, man. Hey, look, bro. Hey, look. It's going to be a fun 10 weeks is all I can tell people. Yeah. Interesting, Absolutely. at least. Interesting, Absolutely. to say the least. And all we can do is keep pounding.